0: Good afternoon and welcome to Wicked Curious Radio. I am your mystery maven, Roxy Zwicker from New England Curiosities, here with the amazing Ken. Hello, good afternoon. <laughs> good afternoon, Ken. And the professor, Lou Blassie, behind the board today. Hello. Hello. And uh, you are finding us on... Many different places, of course, Facebook Live. So if you have any questions for us today, you can pop into the Facebook Live chat. We are also on Buzzsprout, iTunes, AnyTalks.net, and 102.9 FM HD2. And Wicked Curious Radio is a show about everything mysterious, spooky, haunted, metaphysical, and... Anything else that comes across our path that rather tends to be intriguing, as a Anything were.
1: Wicked Curious.
0: Anything <laughs> Wicked Curious. Nicely done, Ken. On today's show, uh, we are going to be talking about the infamous Coconut Grove fire in Boston, Massachusetts. that happened back in November of 1942, and the legacy of the fire, the ghost stories therein, and a new film that has just come out documenting the story. So it should be a very interesting discussion Mm -hmm. later on. And, of course, we're going to get you caught up with all things New England Curiosities, as there are many things happening in our little realm of the world right now. And one of the most recent things happening is the feedback on... The Emmy nomination party. The Woodland Alchemy movie. On the Woodland Alchemy movie. Yeah. Some good news. Which just happened last week at Casacana, located in Alston, Massachusetts. Beautiful artistic. Hotel along place. the Charles River, mm-hmm. which was a, a a lovely drive, and it was so it was so nice to look out on the river and see everybody out there boating and jogging and all the Sailing, flowers in yeah. bloom. Because we had plenty of time to enjoy that while we were sitting in traffic, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it was it was nice to look off in the distance. Well, at
2: least you get stuck in a place with a view. I was exactly say, yeah
0: with a little yeah. something to look at other than some concrete walls. Mm-hmm. So it was a it was a beautiful ride. In the hotel was. Was fantastic it was a little um i don't know almost like a south american mexican fusion uh, cuisine which was great, yeah, it was and, really
1: good, kitschy too. It was...
0: Oh, it was su- super, super kitschy, very modern. Uh, the <laughs> property actually uh, dated back to the nineteen sixties, mm-hmm. and they recently remodeled it, which was pretty cool to check out. How again, they had a lot of local artists do some of the work there. Yeah, and, it was like murals on the, the murals. elevator
1: doors and walls and things. It was really a neat place.
0: It was very neat, and the the appetizers just kept coming. <laughs> Oh, my God, it was it was crazy. Everything from gazpacho to sliders. I was going to say, what was your favorite? Um, I, didn't, I did everything but the gazpacho. What did you think of the gazpacho?
1: The gazpacho was very good. It was spicy. I mean, it was almost like you just dump a little vodka in and you had a Bloody Mary. It was, it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. Honestly, yeah, it was that good.
0: And uh, plantains. I mean, we had the plantain all plantain chip
1: kind of. Kinda um, what they have on there? They had the jerk chicken yes. on top of so, the plantain yeah, chips, homemade.
0: Oh yeah, everything. The um, food was amazing. Yeah, what,
1: what, what were the sliders? They were they were delicious. Oh, the the
0: the little the little burgers had like yeah. a um, freshly made slaw on them, mm-hmm. and there was like mango. They
1: had some kind of corn puff yeah. thing, and it was. Just, yeah, it was really good.
0: It was yeah, it was very it was very unexpected because you you never know what you're, yeah. gonna, what you're so, gonna. get. So I mean,
1: the I Emmys mean, they put on a good shindig. Well, they did put on <laughs> a good
0: shindig, and um, it's fascinating the way that they do it. Is you know you you sit there and you chat and you have your appetizers and they tell you a little bit about the organization.
2: Oh, in the, the bar,
1: don't forget the bar.
0: Oh yes, in the bar. <laughs> so so we got some drink tickets, which was nice.
2: you were just hitting on it; it got me curious. While you're talking about it. who the hell are the Emmys anyway? Who puts us on? <laughs> <laughs> they are
0: the the Academy. National Academy uh, for Televised Arts. Oh, huh. so and it's it's the same organization all across the country. That, you know, you hear about in yeah. California. Yeah, this is we were you
1: know we're part of the New England chapter. Yeah, so
0: we are uh, we're in the New England chapter. So the way they work, it is um, each region judges another region. Yep. So, like, we were judged uh, by the Midwest Oh, chapter. I see. Interesting. And so when when it comes back around, probably later this year, because they haven't had theirs yet, then we'll have the opportunity to judge other entrants, which is pretty interesting, depending yeah. on what category you've actually submitted your interest or expertise is. So when you become a member, you fill out the survey, and they want to know what, what interest you have in the film industry oh, see, yeah. and what experience you have as well, and then what you'd be interested in judging. And one of the things that they really push in the industry is up-and-coming filmmakers. So typically, like high school and college kids, they really want you to be involved with their projects and to go in and to review them and to give them some feedback. So it's, it's very interesting all of the different levels that they have to the organization. So we were judged by the... The Midwest with our, yeah. with our. So we sent very a, interesting film. Uh,
1: a movie about witches to the Bible Belt. It was interesting. <laughs> That's okay, yeah. though.
0: It's, it's all yeah, good. Yeah, but the big
2: story is hey, you're filmmakers now.
0: We, it's true. Yeah. That's right. true. That's right. true. Let's just add that on to our our newly Curiosities resume. That's right. So um, we went through the evening just, you know, kind of chatting with everybody, and they did a link up with the party they were having up in Portland. And then you'd think it would be this, you know, Big grand announcement where they would call you up and you know have it all lit up on the screen. And essentially, once they've made their announcements of you know, thank you everybody for coming, and here's a little history about organization, then they pass out these little binders, these packets, these little packets, and everybody's like going through this packet of like 100 pages at breakneck speed Looking for to look category. for your film name oh, so and your category. You, that's how
2: you get not, get told.
0: That's how you get mm-hmm. told. Oh. So it's uh there's no, you know, there's no list or anything. Yeah. So she's passing it out so um almost everybody from the the team was with us that night. And we all got a packet, and we're all rushing through the list, trying to figure out the categories we were in and find our name. So I went backwards in, and I started from the bottom, and I only went a few pages in, and I saw our nomination, yeah. <laughs> which was really amazing. And it's actually uh, for the music and score for the music and score, and um, that's for Jenna Green. So it, of course, it still falls under the and Alchemy, but we're um, we're super excited that out oh, of yeah. Eleven hundred entrants. It was weeded out to uh, a hundred, I guess, nominations. I kind of call them winners. Mm -hmm. And um, there's only there's only five other. soundtracks that we're up against right um however one is <laughs> one is new Hampshire chronicle and the other one is the uh the score for a story that was done on the patriots so ours is the most different but it's amazing to see the list and how it said you know nbc and abc and a Fox lot of sports network. And then you see little PPM TV yep. in there with everybody else and with an Alchemy. So we got um, we got the one nomination, which is still absolutely oh, yeah. amazing. Jenna was beside herself when Jenna walked up. I said, "Congratulations!" And she's like, "For what?" And I said, you got the nominations. And her hands started shaking, and she went out into the hallway.
1: (laughs) She's like, oh, my God.
0: She's like, oh, my God. She's like, are you serious? So um, it was really super exciting. So um, the awards are going to be on... Uh, June 15th. So we're going to go back to Boston to see if we actually do get the award. But it is quite exciting because it is a red carpet event. Oh,
1: this will be the huge...
0: This is this is the real big deal like you see this'll in California. Oh,
2: God. So, Gi- um, judging by your other events, you guys are going to steal the red carpet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, as a matter of fact, you guys got a lot of compliments that night well, about <laughs> how they were dressed. Well,
0: because, you know, if you're going to go to something like this, who knows when you're going back. So yeah. you want to dress the part. Absolutely, and we totally, totally dressed the part and stood out. And the folks from the Emmys came over and said, "You know, this is the creativity we like to see. This is creativity we like to see in our filmmakers." So we're really excited that you're here. And they ended up picking up the tab for our last round of drinks, <laughs> which was really awesome. Very nice. So um, we made some sort of little strange impression. Yeah, as definitely. We do they, they were super everywhere. happy to have us go.
2: there.
0: It <laughs> was great. Um, so yeah so
1: but congratulations to jenna congratulations to jenna and and the the whole crew
0: involved with will and alchemy um great job everybody we're just we're so proud and so thankful to be happy to be on this journey and really really happy Mm -hmm. to be nominated so um no matter what happens from this point out Jenna will always be an Emmy-nominated artist, and the film will always be Emmy-nominated as well. So, So,
1: uh, up and up, super excited.
0: Yeah, super, super excited. And um, thank you so much for everybody who also came that night. We had uh, just a great team with us, which was so wonderful and so uplifting, and we greatly appreciate all of that um i think one of the interesting takeaways of the evening was the next film's going to be even better right like, oh,
1: oh yeah God. that was that was the rallying cry yeah.
0: yeah so um so we're all we're all very very yeah. excited and this definitely exceeded anything that we could have possibly hoped for and we'll keep um everybody posted with what's going on yeah. with that i also
1: want to thank bill humphreys just for being there yes. as part of it cuz he's he's just has the the experience and expertise in this field that he, just helped does. us along
0: yep. and he is he is now very sadly the former executive director of PPM-TV. Well, he retired. Yep. well, and I was i was just going to say, but he's not stopping because nope. he is continuing on his own film journey, which he started back when he was seven years old, and he has currently five Emmys and a whole bunch of other awards, and it was just great to have yeah. him on board with well, us. Well, film and theater. Film, Yeah, of course, mm-hmm. film and theater. Very talented guy. So um, if you don't know about The Woodland Alchemy, you can go to thewoodlandalchemy.com and check out of course, the trailer, and you can follow the journey of the Woolen Alchemy. And when it comes to a screening near you, but that's um, that's one of our big announcements yeah, from last year. Be part
1: week. of that magic.
0: Be part of that magic as we get ready to re- weave the magic wand again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so, speaking of magic wand, did you know what's happening this week on the calendar magically?
1: No. <laughs> I haven't I haven't looked that far ahead yet.
0: <laughs> nice going, Ken. I just they, woke they, up. <laughs> just now.
2: <laughs> Good show prep.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. So um on Wednesday is May first. And oh, May first is what? It's May Day. May Day, yeah so it's Baltane and of course we look at May Day as being a very magical day because it's the halfway point between spring equinox and summer solstice. Is it now? It is. So it is the point. Have halfway you been point. outside?
2: Well, today you never it's kind of huh? nice.
0: Is it nice out it's, there? It's nice out there. You haven't been outside? Not for a while, no. Have you been in here for a week?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it seems, seems like, like that. that. Yeah, I knew yeah, you were going to say yeah. that.
0: It seems like that.
1: Well, yeah, so we're going to get this one nice day squeeze, squeezed in well, here. and squoze then Squoze then Squeezed in. in. Wow. I like squeezed You've in. Been squo-s- hang- You've been
0: hanging out with Ron yeah, too Yeah, I'm going
1: see him in Ron's chair here from the saving last show. His, so saving
0: s- his chair. Squoze kind of works better, actually. I guess Squeezed in, but... So May Day is a very magical day, um, particularly traditionally in uh, the Celtic and the pagan world as well. So we look at May Day as being something that you can participate in any way that speaks to you and setting your magical intentions. When we move into May and we're moving closer to the time of Taurus, we think about manifesting our material things. So what is it that we need to live and thrive? And Beltane is about the passionate chase. It's also about fertility rites and all of those wonderful things that go with it. So one of the things that we were actually talking about in Circle last week is a long-told tradition is that on the morning of May Day, so May 1st, you go out in the morning, and whatever moisture is in the grass, you take and you put your hands across the grass and then you put it across your face, and it gives you fairy sight. It's also supposed to bring you luck, and it's supposed to be a youthful elixir. Oh. So, oh, of course. so roll
1: around on your lawn, people. <laughs> so
0: so that's, <laughs> right. what, that's what all of my my ladies in circles oh, no. said. So they're like, we're all going to go out and roll in the
1: grass. Yeah, going to go face plant in the grass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> However, one, one of them told me, she's she's like, well, I have a septic tank in my yard, so I can't <laughs> use that side. No, no don't
1: go over there. That's the wrong kind of moisture. Exactly. <laughs> completely wrong.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so... Um, and so one of the rituals is to go out and to collect the moisture on the grass and of course mm. if you wanted to put that in um you know in a sprayer with some magic water you can go ahead and make a spray for luck so it's like one of like these cool little rituals that you can do some may spray some may spray <laughs> Well yeah what do spray. I get with my fairy sight What do you get with your fairy sight Yeah what a fairy
2: see that I don't see <laughs> What's my upgrade? Uh, uh, uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you're supposed to be able to see the fairies with the fairy oh, sight, see. and you will also be also be able to see like lucky opportunities. You'll be much more tuned in with the energies that would benefit you. Oh, okay, because it is again that time of manifestation. I'll be more
2: opportunistic.
0: Yes, yeah. yes, that's that's the idea. So there are um, other other rights, of course. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things is if you have kids, is to let them go run barefoot on May Day to feel the natural energy of the earth and the grass as it's all oh, they coming can pick up. up. Some of
1: that dew too, so yeah. they can
0: pick pick it up on their on yeah, their feet, on their feet. And, and bring it in the house. Um, there are the old traditions of going Maying, which was all about collecting flowers. So of course we've got so beautiful. I mean, all around us yesterday. Oh yeah,
1: everything's growing now. Finally.
0: Yeah, and when we went out to Newcastle on the trolley tour on Saturday. It was just gorgeous. Everything oh, yeah. was in bloom in Newcastle. Oh my God, it's mm-hmm. so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So um, Maying is all about collecting the blessings as you're collecting the flowers. Also planting blessings, so planting it with intention, putting crystals in your garden, all of that would be things that you would do um, on May Day. And of course, it was thought that this is a big day for planting for farmers as well. And this is uh, you know a little bit of lore from the Farmer's Almanac back in the day to have prosperous crops and to have abundance that they would go oh, ahead yeah. And plant on May days again. A bountiful being that, year. Yep, for the bountiful year to make sure that it's on again. That, that halfway point, and there were even. Celtic rites that took place on the day where you would have the battle between spring and winter energies. And, of course, spring would always win to help usher in the summer. So Mm -hmm. there's a a lot of rites and rituals for May Day. But there's also the Maypole. The Maypole is very traditional. Which is very traditional. And it it kind of fell out of favor for a while because of the connotations of wrapping the Maypole. But, again, Mm -hmm. it's all about blessings in bringing in all of the energy that you want mm-hmm. for Again, the season. Again,
1: yeah, fertility, right? Right, it is a for fertility, the, right. For the earth and for for everybody.
0: Absolutely. So those are some of the rites and rituals for May Day, which is coming up this week. And of course, we also have the new moon this week. So it's a time again to think about the intentions. Uh, there's some funny things going on in the universe with Saturn right now as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, What's
2: that scamp up to? You? So <laughs>
0: that is uh, that is all about hard endings, like drawing the line in the sand um, that things need to come to an end. So the day for Saturn, of course, is Saturday. And um there's been a lot that have been that's been coming up for people in kind of my world mm-hmm. about drawing the line in the sand and not going back to yeah. situations that were toxic. And that's a lot about what's happening with Saturn right now. So people are finding that they're really being pushed to their limits and that they have to say, you know, no, no more. Point of no return. Point of no return. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So there's a uh,
1: draw that line, they make that choice.
0: Yeah absolutely so there are some cosmic things happening out there in the universe to support you wherever it is that you are and uh, if you want some more information on kind of the cosmic forces that are around you in particular we don't talk about it much on the show but you can always come and sit down with me for a reading I am in That's Portsmouth absolutely. at both the Divinity Lounge and at Dedwicks. and I've gone back now to reading more of the traditional tarot for a while I was reading um, the well-worn path, and the folks that created that deck, particularly the Gramassi's. Raven Gramassi has passed away, Mm -hmm. um, very sadly, so I've Mm -hmm. stopped using that deck, uh, just kind of in memory, and now to preserve it, because he actually signed my deck. So I've gone back to, to good old Tarot, which is so blunt, (laughs) <laughs> and so clear that sometimes it freaks people out. So I do um, augment that with the Lenormand deck that I have, which is very, yeah. very beautiful Victorian deck. But yeah. if you want to read it, you can go to curiosities dot com and check out the site and you see what speaks to Do you stick with
2: a deck for a while, or do you just get up one morning and say? something new today. Um, I'm taking this one out today.
0: Well, you know, it's actually a little bit of both. Sometimes I have usually like three or four decks like at my fingertips when I go to sit down and do a reading and I'll try to sense the energy with the person in which deck it is that I should use and it's kind of weird. I'll I will actually ask the deck, like, is this the right deck to use, and I'll put my hand over it. Um, but I think I've I've kind of re- really rekindled my love with tarot. So right now I'm doing yep. tarot as my primary, and then I'll augment it with another deck. So typically what I do is I'll you know go through the reading with the tarot, and then if there's deeper questions or clarification, then I'll use another deck to come in and answer those to really kind of give a well-rounded view yeah. before I assign homework for the reading.
1: <laughs> she, so, reads, she reads just about anything anyway.
0: Like I said, I'll read gum on the th- street.
1: Yeah, throw some, you know, sugar <laughs> on the table and she'll read that too. I yeah, will. So, well, you yeah. can. What mm-hmm.
0: it's, but it's what you assign when it comes to divination. It's what you assign the symbolism to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even one of the things that I teach people is how to read corn kernels. Like, You know, even number is no, and odd number is yes. Hmm. So you can cast corn kernels, which was a tradition that was also done back in the day. So if you can define... Just
2: pull out a handful and cast them? Yeah, and set your
0: intention. And then the Mm -hmm. way that they land in the casting may also give you some information, whether it's a, a letter or a number or an image that you see as you've cast them. So if you can define a divinatory meaning to something then you can use it for divination. So there's, I mean, there's so many things, you know, bibliomancy, you open up a book and the first lines you see are the answer to the situation that you're in. Um, there's, you know, obviously tea leaf reading. There's mm-hmm. so many different things yeah. that you
1: can do. Well, she does this great thing that I find pretty cool that um, <laughs> no. she that she just does on her own once in a while. She, she, a thing she calls junk-draw divination. <laughs> it's it's nice. awesome. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, sound I've, very bad.
0: I've coined that term. Yeah, but.
1: it's it's amazing. You want to tr- describe that? Oh, do you want me a to talk bit? about jump
0: jump just divination? a little bit. Yeah, it's mm. it's
1: super cool. Anyone can do this. Yeah,
0: anybody can do it. So we we all have like. Crap in our cup holder and crap in our pocket, like, you know, whether it's a paper clip or a pen yep. or whatever. So similar to what I was just saying is to set a divinatory meaning to it. So your pen might represent communication. Your paper clip might represent putting things together. Right. A coin would represent prosperity. You know, a lit might, piece of lint might be something that's getting in the way that you right. need to clear out. And for me, I have all these weird things in a box, and I'll reach into the box and think of my question and just pull them out and cast them. And the number of items that I've pulled means something to me in numerology. Yep. Uh, also, again, the shape of things. And then the items that I've pulled out and the placement of them. So if there is, you know, say there's a paper clip on top of a coin. So that means my prosperity might be being blocked by something that I'm trying to put together. Uh, so I need to get it missing together. some paperwork. I'm missing something, but it could be. It I'm, could I'm, be. It could be. Maybe it means I need to do my taxes, which I've already done. Um, oh but, ma- you know, maybe there's something more that you could do. So in looking at... That, that casting, and these are all objects that if you're carrying them, they have your energy on them, they might have a meaning to you, so even you know same thing with c- casting crystals or mm-hmm. gemstones it's the same idea that there's a meaning to all of them yeah. and the way that they land and what you're looking for. so we all have I mean we all have junk, we all yeah. have you know a junk drawer we I mean, all you have, have pockets. Like little.
1: Like, animal figures and stuff, which, oh, you know, yeah. standard meanings for, you know, animal
0: mm-hmm.
1: animal meanings, yep. things like and that.
0: And you might find, you know, if you're looking at something similar in Appalachian folk magic, it's called casting the bones. And sometimes it's not actual bones, it's items, although many times mm-hmm. it is. Yep. So it's it's all in to me. It's just junk draw divination. If you, if you need <laughs> advice on the go... Then what's in your pocket?
2: A lot of this is, uh, I'm guessing a large element of this is it's kind of a spiritual Rorschach test. It's kind of cleansing the mind's palate so you can see what rises up. Absolutely.
0: And then why are you carrying those objects? So why are they in your pocket? Is there some sort of meaning that it's there to remind you of or something that you should be doing or an energy that you're in? So, I mean, we we all do. We're always pulling things in and out of our energetic field, and we don't always know why. So why not take a look at
2: book divinity? I mean, Oh yeah. Oh, that would be that
0: mine would be horrible. Mine would take like hours because my purse, which I I don't carry as much as I used to is just full of all kinds of stuff. That's a real
2: test of the question. Why is this here? yes yes. Yeah.
0: yes and and that's where that's gone <laughs> like i haven't seen that in ages yeah um the bottomless purse so um junk drawer divination it's actually it's, something yeah um,
1: you don't even need you don't even need to buy a deck of cards no
0: just you don't grab
1: some stuff and throw it out and see what you get it's true
2: it's about what we talked about before it's about tuning in right mm-hmm. it is it's just whatever it get, does that gets you tuned to the frequency that's right yeah
1: well, she'll teach that in her classes and people are like i never thought of that it's it's pretty amazing
0: yeah, I do that in um, Divination 2 at mm-hmm. Dedwicks and teach people how to, to do that. And um, everybody, I mean, every time we do that class, everybody pulls stuff out of their pocket. And, and like, nobody really has to even know what you're doing. It's kind of, yeah. it, you know, it's kind of like secret. Nobody knows that You'll all have of those things have meaning.
1: Empty their pocket or purse and throw things out. And it's, it's pretty cool. Piece, yeah, but, pieces of gum, whatever. Yeah. But yeah. imagine you're,
0: you're in a work environment and you don't want people to know what you're doing. So on your lunch hour, you, yeah. know, you just reach in your pocket or you go out to your cup holder and you grab some stuff and you cast it. Nobody knows what you're doing. Yeah. You could be cleaning out your purse, but you're yeah. actually telling your fortune. And some people don't want people to know mm-hmm. that they're in that type of thing. So, yeah, yeah it's a little a little secret way yeah, you'd to You have to sit in your cubicle with,
2: you know, with runes or cards or anything. So Although <laughs> I have. So <laughs> well, what yeah, does it mean you, that I'm pretty sparse? In other words... The only thing ever in my pockets is my phone and my wallet. So you've
0: probably... And keep... I keep
2: my wallet. It's like there's no junk in my wallet. It's just...
0: You, you're you probably really good at clearing out the clutter in your life. Like, you don't, don't want anything know. to get... I don't get... know about
2: that. Well, it well, depends don't want... on the areas. Well, depends apparently on the areas. apparently like toxicity. Oh. <laughs> 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 apparently. Oh. I have fondness in my heart for toxicity. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Poison in my pocket. <laughs> oh, no.
0: What's this vial of poison in my pocket oh. doing here? <laughs> Well, so then you, you need to come up with, like, a, a, you know, a little bag or see what's in your cup holder yeah. or... Glove your, box. Yeah, or yeah. glove box. the like junk a, drawer. What's in your junk drawer. Right. And, yeah. and take it out and see what it has to say and why are you holding on to it. That's usually the first thing I tell people yeah. is... If that thing's—if you're considering it to be a piece of junk, then why is it still there? What is it reminding you well, of?
2: Well, I'm a guy. I'm pretty simple. Ken probably appreciates <laughs> yeah. this. I might need it someday. Right. <laughs> I
0: need
2: it someday. I don't know when. I don't know how. But it looks like something I might need.
1: Yeah, I'm going to use this bracket somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Somewhere And it's in a drawer with a bunch of other screws yeah. and pieces of metal. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: and it's just one bracket, not two. Someday you know, I'm exactly. going to need a
1: screw. <laughs> 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 and sometimes it actually happens. And
0: sometimes it does. Yeah.
1: Going to hang a picture somewhere.
0: You know okay if you say so <laughs> so what's in your junk drawer <laughs> <laughs> right. there, you go. so um so what we're gonna do is we're going to take a quick break and we're gonna come back with a little bit more of some curious talk you're listening to wicked curious don't go away
3: For the best and curious entertainment, you have to check out New England Curiosities, located in the historic city of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. New England Curiosities offers tales and tours of folklore, ghosts, and mysterious history with author and historian Roxy Zwicker, New Hampshire's longest-running and original ghost tour. Roxy has been entertaining the locals, visitors from away, and curious souls since 1994. New England Curiosities has been offering tours and special haunted events since 2002. Highly respected and thoroughly Entertaining. You'll be talking about your experience for months to come. Discover why New England Curiosities is consistently on top of travel and tourism lists. Yankee Magazine calls the Shadows and Stones Graveyard Tour one of New England's top five cemetery tours. The Boston Globe says an experience with New England Curiosities is one of the three best alternatives to visiting Salem, Massachusetts. From scenic trolley rides to walking tours and speaking engagements, there's something for everyone. So join New England Curiosities and experience why they are ...consistently featured in the media, including television appearances on the History Channel and the Travel Channel. Check out the latest legendary tours and events from New England Curiosities at Curiosities.com. And be sure to like New England Curiosities on Facebook.
0: Greetings to you, traveler. My name is Roxy Swicker, and you may have heard of me being referred to as Maine's Mystery Maven or even New England's Scary Godmother. Creativity and curiosity are in my blood, always has been and is a way of life. And I really want to share my creative projects with you. Just under 20 years ago, I began New England Curiosities, a tour and event company based in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And it's given me the opportunity to connect with so many people. And for the past 15 years, I've been serving the seacoast of New Hampshire as a metaphysical instructor and reader. Two of the things on my path that I've committed to are... ...helping to empower spiritual seekers and to share stories from and with curious folks. I know that community is powerful and we can create so much together. One of my projects is Wicked Curious Radio, a radio show that asks, you are wicked curious, aren't you? And also The Woodland Alchemy, which is a film that brings its viewers to a place of imagination, the unknown, and the mysterious... If you would like to help keep these projects afloat and keep us moving forward, you can check us out on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash Roxy's Wicker, you can find all of the magical things that we are doing. You can check out all the different levels of subscription and join us on our journey. So again, it's patreon.com slash Roxy's Wicker, R-O-X-I-E-Z-W-I-C-K-E-R. And we thank you so much for joining our Curious Journey. Welcome back to Wiki Curious Radio. I am your mystery maiden, Roxy Zucker from New England Curiosities. And we are sitting here today talking about all things Wicked Curious. And just as a reminder, if you're listening to us on iTunes or Buzzsprout, make sure to click the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode of Wicked Curious every week. It's something new and something curious. So it's kind of strange. I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about on today's show and getting back to some of the local history and um, my mom had sent me a book uh, a few years ago Um, this is the actual book I'll read the title and then I'll show everybody on Facebook Live. It's called Massachusetts Disasters True Stories of Tragedy and Survival and it's by Larry Plecter and um, it's published by the Insider's Guide. It's a really cool book. It talks a lot about...
2: I was going to say how many events are in there. I wonder how many I've heard of. <laughs>
0: hmm. Do you want to do a quick rundown? Let's, let's look at the Do, table of do a rundown? Quick rundown? Right.
2: The Molasses Flood. Yes. The Coconut Grove Fire. Yes. Uh, okay. What's that? What else?
0: That's all you got. Boston
2: Marathon bombing. Probably too uh, early for that. No, this, it,
0: this book it came, is, up before, it came up oh, before oh, oh, that. six.
2: Yeah. The Thresher. Sinking. Nope. No, that wouldn't be Massachusetts either. Nope. Okay, let's. So let's the, go co- the cover. Them. Was a giveaway. See what I know. You see the cover? Oh. uh... Andrea Dora? Yes. 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 Couldn't think of the name of the ship.
0: So um, I'll, I'll give you, there's actually um, just a, a handful of um, events here, and then we'll get into the uh, Coconut Grove fire. So Boston Harbor is where a shipwreck, 1861, ring any bells? Yeah. The sinking... sure there's a
2: bunch of them. I'm <laughs> um, sure. Yeah.
0: The sinking of the Maritana.
2: I've heard of it, yeah. And uh,
0: 1865, the wreck of the Evelyn Treat.
2: Yep, heard of it. Nice.
0: 1871, crash on the Eastern Railroad.
2: No. No? Hmm. Well, we'll have to revisit that.
0: 1871, it happened in Revere. No. Okay. Uh, of course, what this... What was the
2: railroad where the kids, um, the president's, president-elect's kid got decapitated in Andover? It was a ra- train wreck.
0: Mm.
1: Oh, what was that?
0: Oh, the name that? Yeah. I'll have to think of that one. Wait, I should this know is that. I can't
2: remember the yeah. president either. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, we should.
0: This is one that um, we post pictures from all the time, and we talk about a lot on our Facebook page, is 1872, the Great Boston Fire. Oh, yeah. Of course. yeah. yeah. So that's a, a big one.
2: Every town in Massachusetts have seems to have fire. a great fire. This is <laughs> or true. Two. Yeah,
0: or, yeah, of three. Yeah, yeah right. Um, 1874, this is out in uh, Western Mass, the failure of the Williamsburg Dam.
2: Yeah. Heard
0: of that. Uh, 1884, the City of Columbus tragedy. No. Yeah, which was a, a ship, uh, Devil's Reef Bridge. Okay. Yep. Uh, the collapse of the Busey Bridge in 1887.
1: No. Nope. Actually, that's uh, quite a story, if I remember.
0: Yes. Uh, 1888, uh, the blizzard of 1888. Hmm. 1918, the Spanish flu. Okay, yep. Uh, the Battle of Orleans, 1918. The U-boat attack on Cape Cod.
2: Yeah, yeah. I s- That's interesting. Yeah. Seem to remember something about bit. it. Yeah.
0: Of course, you you got this one, 1919, the Great Molasses, Molasses Flood, right? 1920. 1920- one of my favorites. <laughs> one of your favorites. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a great. It's story. so unique.
2: It's a, interesting story. Yeah. Um,
0: 1927. The failure of the Wheeler Dam. Yes. 1936, the Connecticut River floods. Yeah. 1938, what do you think that was?
2: 1938? Yep. That was a big year.
0: That was a huge year, 1938.
2: No, No, refresh my memory.
0: The Great New England Hurricane. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was
2: my my hint, yeah. (laughs) That was my hint.
0: (laughs) What was that?
1: That was the hurricane. That was the
0: old north wind over here. (laughs) That's right. What the heck was that? Um, of course, we're we're going to do uh, the next one in just a couple minutes. Uh, Nineteen forty-two, twelve minutes of hell—the Coconut Grove fire.
2: Twelve minutes. That's
0: quite. Twelve, minutes. In
2: 12 minutes. Yep.
0: Yeah. Nin- when, when they say flash fire, it was yeah. Seriously. Nineteen fifty-three, the it couldn't happen here. Worcester tornado.
2: Oh yeah 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 the Worcester mm. tornado yeah.
0: All right. Then we've got a few more. Of course, the one that's on the cover of this book is The Sinking of the Andrea Doria, The Greatest Rescue in Maritime History in Massachusetts, 1956. Mm. 16-story rescue, The Building Collapse in Brighton in 1971, Brighton, Massachusetts. I do remember that. Um, I actually, last year, I did some research on this next story, The Sinking of the Argo. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep, 1976. Mm -hmm. Took forever to finally sink. Of course, we should know this one. I was eight when it happened in 1978. Oh, the blizzard. Yes. Yeah, I remember that well. Yep. And it was something. the underground miracle collision at Back Bay Station in
1: 1990. No.
0: 1990, I know. 1990? Yeah. Come on, kids. This is in our lifetime. Yeah uh let's let i me... should know that because in merrimack
2: if you drive around along the river there's a barn that was up in 1938 that has a marker where the floodwaters
0: oh sure no were after
2: that yeah wow and it's scary as hell by the way
0: that's pretty cool yeah so um this was uh this was a, a crash in 1990 it was a amtrak train crash oh. and a very difficult rescue
1: oh really yeah in boston yeah. Back Bay Station? Yeah,
0: Back Bay Station. Wow. So uh, they, they just managed to get people out. It's a very, very harrowing experience. Hmm. Right. So um, Again, if you're interested in that, and um, I have other resources to share with you as well, but this is um, called Massachusetts Disasters. I'm not quite sure where my mom picked this book up. It's um, really excellent. It says, When the Unbelievable Happens. And it has a lot of great resources in here. The reason why I brought it in is because they went back and got all of the newspaper accounts from the Boston Globe and the Boston Harold as it related to the Coconut yep. Grove fire. So there's some really good clips in here. Yeah, they did a good job. Yeah, no, it's it's a really really good book and it's not it's not fantastical in any way. So it's you know, it's very fact-based which I like. Um, so as I was saying at the beginning of the segment I have this huge we have this huge library of books yes, we that we collect from antique shows and everywhere we can find them people give us books and I decided to pull this one down today. Was it Divine Intervention (laughs) that I pulled this book down today? Because I could have pulled any other book Mm -hmm. that we have. But you call it coincidence. So I was looking through the book, and I'm always fascinated with the Coconut Grove Fire. A gentleman we spoke to a couple months ago, Sam Baltrusis, wrote a book on Boston, Massachusetts hauntings. And he's got the Coconut Grove Fire in there as well. Um, But throughout all of this talk, I had no idea until today when I was researching for the show that there is actually a film that is in release right now, and it's called Six Locked Doors. Yeah. And it's a documentary on the Coconut Grove Fire, and it looks like it's brilliantly done. It's currently being shown uh, this week at the Dubuque, Iowa Film Festival, but it did premiere in Boston. So if you go to the website, um sixlockeddoors.com, and you have to spell out the letters S I X. Six, LockedDoors.com. There is a, a trailer and um, a couple of interviews on here um, with the former mayor of Boston and also the, for yeah, the film. Mayor Flynn, right? Yeah, uh, Mayor Flynn. And they also, if you can believe it interviewed four survivors oh of the God. fire that yeah. are still alive. Wow. They're in their 90s and talking about each of their perspectives on the fire and what it was like to be there. And we'll give you all the details How in a second. How great
2: to get that documented. Huh? Well,
0: and and that's mm-hmm. what they were saying, that when they first talked about the project, there were 12 people alive.
2: Oh, my God. Oh. And now they're down to Two. four. Wow.
0: Which is amazing. Yep. So this film looks like it is very, very well yeah, done.
1: I want to definitely see yeah, it. Yeah,
0: I definitely want to see it, too. Um, it's It's <laughs> much like The Woodland Alchemy. It's in the process of all of the film festivals, so they had the premiere, and now it's right. going through the film it's festivals. Yeah, before you actually get to see it as a feature release. So, um, but you can you can check it out um, sixlockdoors dot and they have a nice gallery on here of what it was like to go in and, and film the scenes, and of course some of the key players, and again the survivors as well. And it gives you the story of the team that put the film together, which I thought was really fascinating because the gentleman. Who who uh, is the primary filmmaker on this? Um, Zach Graves Miller. He actually grew up in the neighborhood where the Coconut Grove fire happened, and he said he was very inspired to do a film on it because he would walk by the plaque oh, and mm-hmm. he wondered why a lot of people weren't talking about the film these days. Oh, he
2: great, yeah. And there he was there was,
0: yeah, there was yeah.
2: very strong in his neighborhood. The stories, oh yeah. yeah.
0: And there was really never anything uh, major done on it, so he decided that he was going to work on um, through the city of Boston, putting together this documentary about it. And in speaking to uh, former Boston Mayor Flynn, the question was, you know, why haven't people talked about this more? You know, this this massive tragedy where almost 500 people died Mm -hmm. in the fire and it, it happened. And of course, it got a lot of attention at the time. But the two reasons they cited were that it happened during World War Two, mm-hmm. yep. so the country was very preoccupied with things, and also it was uh, it was very interesting to hear the former mayor say that he believed in a very uh, kind of Irish belief that. You know, it's over, it happened, and you have to move on from that.
2: Or on a Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put it behind you To, to put ahead. it
0: behind you and to look ahead. So um, it, it's amazing how you know, it's over 70 years later that there yeah. is finally a film on the subject, which I find absolutely fascinating that it's out there. So this is one that I am going to be actively seeking out as, uh, as soon as it finishes the film festival circuit so I'm I'm really really excited. And they're talking about of a more it. substantial permanent memorial someday being placed there. They are. They the original plaque, unfortunately. They did, and there was some controversy about that as well. Um, mm-hmm. About people in the neighborhood. Is the uh, building still there? Is it in use? Uh, so there's the Radisson Hotel that is there, and there's also a nightclub. That is over there as well. It's a, a gay nightclub in Boston. Same same building. Uh, well, the building is, is gone, but they've rebuilt oh, okay. them uh, on, the on, on the same exact site. Yeah. But there was some controversy, which I, I, I can't, this doesn't even enter into my logic, that by having the plaque there, some developers were upset by it. That it was a reminder of the tragedy that happened, and they didn't want the like plaque Like it was going to the upset site. the condo like residents. Like it was going to upset the people that mm-hmm. had bought condos in the neighborhood. Ridiculous. I don't. I don't know how that even crosses somebody's yeah, mind. Yeah, they're like, oh well,
1: we don't want our residents being brought down by this. Pretty much is how that went. But I, so they actually lobbied and had it Yeah.
0: Moved. It, yeah, I, no, no it good. baffles kind of my mind. Sense, yeah. yeah, it absolutely baffles my mind. So, um, of course, the the plaque is still there. My understanding in um, in the piece now is that the city is working on putting a more substantial monument yes. on its site, so that way it's not just the plaque that's there. Um, but of course, it's on uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Piedmont Street. In Boston. And I want to go back and uh, talk a little bit about um, how the fire happened and cite a, a little bit of the newspaper articles and then um, cover some of the ghost stories that mm-hmm. are, are happening in this in this space and I think in my mind just making the connection between the two um, my sense is is this would be what you would call a residual haunting or a psychic energy Mm -hmm. impression of what had happened when you look at the huge uh, tragic loss of life that happened here um, back in 1942 Um, also if you want to see uh, an amazing slideshow uh, that goes along uh, with the fire, if you go to bostonfirehistory.org, they have a lot of photographs of the site and uh, a map so you can see um, what it looks like. So I'm just gonna go back uh, a little bit here um, to the this uh, book that I had mentioned previously. And uh, I, I love how they start the chapter with um, <laughs> 12 minutes of hell. I I can't even begin to imagine so let me just—just just twelve minutes. Yeah, just just twelve minutes of hell. So, the backstory of this. Um, before I get into the newspaper accounts, were so. Um, the Coconut Grove and the the nightclub that was, uh, you know, back in the day, if you can imagine, there were no real fire codes, and it's really because of the Coconut Grove fire that we have so many strict fire codes now. But there was cray paper hanging from the ceiling. There was, you know, just an overabundance of flammable materials that were there. Yeah, nothing um, was flame
1: retardant. No, back yeah, in the there day, was no. yeah
0: nothing that was flame retardant at all. And of course, lots of fabric, lots of curtains, and of You have the story of the six six locked doors where there were supposed to be Accessible fire exits and they were locked and sealed shut. So keeping yeah. all that in mind as well. Yeah, there were
1: nine doors and six of them were locked.
0: Correct. Um, the building was uh, it was just single story had a, a basement um, downstairs underneath and they had these you know huge papier mache palm trees and just many many flammable objects that were in there and the the story was as as they proposed the fire started was uh, a light bulb had gone out, mm-hmm. and one of the gentlemen who was working there went over to remove the light bulb, and he couldn't see, and he essentially lit a match, and the oh. whole place went up in flames.
1: Yeah. The palm, palm fronds yeah, lit the, up. Yeah,
0: they, they lit up, and of course... You know, no sprinklers, nothing being fire safe. The fire carried very, very quickly um, from the, the ballroom over to the dining room. And it was it was written that the folks that were in the dining room had no idea until they saw a little puff of black smoke come in their direction. And then by then, it was already too late. And then a fireball came flying Uh,
1: up and into the... Yeah, it was crazy.
0: So, yeah, it happened -hmm. happened near immediately. And, of course, um, one of the things that was mentioned about the fire in specific is it was a a huge cross-section of people... That were at the Coconut Grove. Um, there were well over a thousand people that were there, and from all different walks of life, from rich to poor, you know, high class, middle class, that were in there. And of course, it—I can't even imagine everybody running for the doors at once, all at once, trying to—and
1: and then getting to the ones that are locked.
0: Yeah, yeah, trying to to get out. Mm. Um, there was even um, there was even a Hollywood actor there, Buck Jones who was uh, visiting, and he was inside the Coconut Grove as well. So again, a a great mix of people. So I want to Mm -hmm. read you a little bit of um, uh, what the Boston Herald had reported. All of a sudden, someone yelled, fire. I jumped out from behind the bar. The palm tree was ablaze, the one in the corner where the light had been out. Then a flash came. I don't know from where. I ran over and pulled the palm tree down, and I tried to beat it out. I tried, but I couldn't. I yelled for water and threw water on, but it was too late, too far gone. The whole ceiling was blazing. People were hollering and panicky. Oh, my God, were they panicky. And then it goes on um, again, Boston Herald. One big black cloud of smoke came down from the ceiling so that you could not see who was next to you. It didn't stay dark long. The walls were burning. There was no use trying to push through the crowd of people at the exit. So I stood in the middle of the room, as far from the walls as possible. But the heat was terrible. I could feel the skin on my face blistering. There was a pile of people, four or five deep at the door, wriggling and shouting on the floor. I ran and dove right over to the pile and landed on my head. So again, Mm. that's from the the Boston Herald. No,
1: I had read also that when he pulled the palm... Mm-hmm. Leave down, yep. It had ripped open a portion of the ceiling, creating yep. a rush of air coming in mm-hmm. from between the, uh, the floor and the ceiling. Yeah. So, of course, it just made matters worse.
0: Mm. So this is from uh, the Boston Post. And this gentleman was actually a reporter. His name was uh, William Ladd. And he happened to be in the club during the fire. He said, everybody, it seemed everybody wanted to be the first to get out. Men and women in their panic began tearing clothes from the bodies of each other. Then they got to that small door on Piedmont Street, and one of the women went down. Then the other men and women fell on top of her, and the bodies then just seemed to be piling up. The people seemed to be fighting each other on top of the pile. Just then, a big man pushed me in the back and knocked me down. It's hard to remember how everything happened. I was found. I was under a table. There were feet all around me, and it was hard to breathe, and the flames were looking up through the floor. I just kept crawling and being sort of pushed by feet, trampling all around me. I didn't know where I was going, and I didn't know there was a little back door. Whoever it was that pulled me out, threw me across the sidewalk, and I landed in the gutter. Wow. So there's, I think, one more here. Um, So the Boston Herald reported that... The work of the emergency Civilian Defense medical services the american red cross boston 's hospital, together with donated blood plasma burn ointment were credited with saving scores of lives and alleviating suffering. but they did um, run out of blood at mass general and people were were lining up to make sure that these people had the supplies that they needed but essentially, you know in this wild panic, you know half of the people that were in the club were essentially burned alive as they mm-hmm. were trying to find their way out these doors which nobody knew were not only locked but pretty much barred shut. There was like no way to get them open at all, which was completely yeah. No the illegal. club was
1: had double the people in it of its allowed capacity. Correct,
0: too. correct. Um
1: so it was severely overloaded.
0: Yeah. And a, and as were as were the hospitals after that, the hospitals were admitting um one person every eleven seconds wow. to the local hospital, um you know breaking at three hundred at the local hospital in town immediately uh, following the fire, um, and everybody locally came in to try and assist and i you know i can't even i can't even imagine what this scene looked like
1: yeah i can't imagine the heat that he was describing just it's going to be
2: unfa- unfathomable all of that is stunning, and then when you get down to a twelve minute span. Yeah. yeah, it's
1: like it's just fire moves that quick. You hear mm-hmm. it all the time.
0: So, of course, on top of that, if it wasn't the fire, it was the toxic fumes mm-hmm. from everything that was burning. So, when you looked at the piles of people too, not only did you have people that were trampled, but they were breathing in all of these fumes that were, you know, um, immediately overcoming people there as well. So, mm-hmm. you had a variety of ways that, you know, people were were essentially succumbing to this horrifying yeah. fire. So um at the final death count established according uh, to the Boston Fire Department was 490 people were killed in the fire and 166 were injured. And um, they said that it was only exceeded by the fire at a theater in Chicago um, on December 30th, 1903, which killed 603 people Hmm. um, and mostly children. But um, I, I can't even imagine when they finally went in and found the exits. Were sealed off. They were blocked. It was, you know, flammable materials, overcrowded, um, just, you know, just ha- amazing at the staggering number of people. It's and amazing
1: as many people got out as, as they did.
0: It is, and it was. It was written about in the newspaper that. Because there were so many people that were in there, that it was hard to go anywhere in New England who didn't know somebody that mm-hmm. was connected in some way to the fire that happened, again, in Coconut Grove, because there was such a diverse amount of people that were there. So a lot of people were very connected to the fire that had happened, whether it was through friends or families or associates. Um, but then, it, you know, it, it kind of went, you know, went away after that. Mm-hmm. Um and of course, it's the the site has changed quite a lot over the years, um, with the new buildings that are there, um, the nightclub that is uh, in its place, the hotel that's in its place. So it's um, Jacques Cabaret that's there, and um, the cabaret had uh, started out as. As, as a club back in um, the late 1940s and uh, now it's a, essentially a, a gay bar and drag club and they have reported some strange sightings of seeing people dressed from back in you know the 1940s wandering about disheveled trying to find their way and, and they clearly have seen them wandering through some of the guests that have mm. been there and they look like they had been in the fire and they were you know here and gone going down the hallways going through doors. And also, um, although, you know, most hotels, as as you'll find even with us in Portsmouth, um, if it's, you know, a place where people are going to stay, they don't want to talk about their ghosts for, you know, fear of scaring off people who might want to stay overnight Mm -hmm. and not know about the ghosts. But there are stories from the hotel there, and again, probably told more in a whisper of, again, seeing full-bodied apparitions of people wandering about Looking like they had been in the fire there hmm. <laughs> so um and both buildings are again they're they're right on site on Piedmont avenue there so You know, again, in in kind of my ghostly analysis, all I can think of is that, again, it's this huge psychic impression of what had happened there and that there is still um, some energy that lingers in its own way um, behind. And, um, you know, even even all told, the tragedy is is quite horrible. And when we look at any place that has, you know, an immense loss of life, you will find that people do come out with ghost stories and some people often theorize well you know is it just knowing the story and it's their imagination that's triggering the possibility of ghosts but i am a a really i have to say a really firm believer in that you know there are spirits that do lurk about in these places um and there is also some thought too that we might not know everybody that was killed because some bodies may have been just so badly incinerated Mm -hmm. that they had never been recovered. So do we really have the true number of 490 or may there have been more? We don't know Um, for certain. We may never be able to answer that question. So um, I think there's, you know, there's probably so many untold stories of that night, even with, you know, all that's been written about it that we may, we may never know. Mm -hmm. So leaving something behind definitely is, something that I find very intriguing and and highly, highly possible.
2: I also don't think, given what I know of people's general grasp on history, Mm -hmm. I think the percentage of people who know anything actually happened at that particular site that they're sitting at is probably very low.
1: Yeah, especially as we get further in time, it's been, what, 75 years? Mm -hmm. There's probably a lot of people there that have no idea and have an experience.
0: Yeah.
2: First of all, I have no idea it happened. Secondly, they have no idea they're on site. Mm -hmm.
0: Right.
1: Right. And then they have an experience and they don't know why. Yeah
0: well and 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 that's you know i I think part of and you know i'm I'm giving my own personal theory in that in how history and events in history. Reach out to us to be remembered and to be recalled, mm-hmm. um, you know even though this you know this was in in the news for for months after it happened as the trial went on, and um, the owner of the club was held accountable, and there was said to be some shenanigans that had gone on, but even the buildings that were adjacent to where the fire had happened, and they were putting together makeshift morgues and you know again, when you look at the pictures and, and Lous doing such a great job of putting them up. You know these these people either were gasping for for their last breath as they were being put into these places as they were waiting for for service or treatment or they had already passed that they were in the basements and you know in in the rooms of the local buildings that there is just so much that's there, um, so it looks it looks like while we're while while we're chatting we actually have. Uh, some folks yeah. in um, in our Facebook chat room, which I'm I'm, I'm just trying to yeah. poke over and read. So uh, Kelly says her grandparents were there. Um, that's an incredible story. Again, even today when we think about how many people are probably still connected in in some way uh, to the fire. And uh, Fred says, I remember as a boy, my mother and father talking about the fire in Boston, and that the youngest son of the furniture store owners in town who was on home from leave from the Navy, carried some people out but got trapped inside on his second trip by bodies blocking the doors. I believe oh. his last name was Kaufman. That's yeah, I, 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 again, all the personal stories I can't even imagine. The stories of heroism of, as well. Of heroism. Yes. And, uh, and thank you, Fred and Kelly, for for sharing uh, that bit of information. And, and it's because of the Coconut Grove fire that you have so many fire safety regulations today in clubs, although um, I do remember it wasn't so long ago. um, We had uh, just moved up to the seacoast just a few years, and uh, we had the station fire down in... At
1: at a time, you were living close to that. Yeah, and... um,
0: in Rhode Island, and yeah. it was uh, another awful scene. And people were actually calling us, wondering if we had been down there and if we had escaped mm-hmm. the fire. Well, it,
1: w- it, would, it was a show that we might it, have it gone was, to. Yeah, it
0: was a show that we might have gone to when we were so close to the area. Um, and, you know, between all of these, these tragedies, it's really shaped the way that we deal with fire today with, you know, the advent of sprinkler systems and all of the safety regulations therein. But it, it, it certainly does not surprise me that there are, are tales of ghosts in the wake of and, this. I mean, I don't know. Have you ever seen the videos from from the station? Yeah, I, ha- I have seen Absolutely the videos from the station. Absolutely horrible. Yeah, it's yeah. horrifying. That's mm-hmm. what
2: makes it. That's what makes that one imprint so much. Yeah, is that so there c- is video of it. Right.
1: So, yeah. When I think of Coconut Grove, I think of how it must have played out very similar mm. and just how crazy that must have been and yeah, yeah. horrible. Yeah, Coconut what Grove what seemed
2: what like, like, like a much bigger
1: room though, and, and plus it had the basement level. Yeah, plus that basement level. So there would Yep, what over a thousand people in there? Yeah, there
0: were all over a thousand mm-hmm. people that were in there, and uh, it was a uh, fifteen alarm fire.
1: Yeah, I bet.
0: And 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 fire departments came from from far and wide, and it just it burned out uh, so quickly that they just could not get in to to get everybody out. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, again, um, just the terror of thinking that you're coming up to a door that should be your escape. and not being able to get out that door
1: even the doors that were open i mean once the pig pile happened so to speak people just you you can't get through anymore you can't get over them it's it's nuts and and they're trapped right there Mm -hmm. and can't get out
0: Mm -hmm. so um as as i mentioned i i really can't wait to see this film um about about the coconut grove and certainly as I mentioned, um, you know, if you're the type of person and you're in the area and you want to go down and check out, the, it, it's just a, a small plaque that's there and follow the story as to whether or not they're going to be putting a, a as what we like to call, a proper memorial um, yeah. with even, you know, a list of names or more information. I
1: believe the current mayor is on board with this. Yes, so, the current yeah.
0: mayor is on board with that, and I'm, I'm very, very glad to hear that. Um, in addition, if you happen to stop at the club, there are people at the club that mention, you know, the story of seeing spirits down there. They also have a, a few ghost stories of their own of uh, former performers that they say might actually be haunting the club mm-hmm. as well from over the years. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, m- much like with anything in Boston, there are, you know, there are stories around every corner, but this is one yeah. that. Um,
2: smells like a book The Ghosts of the Coconut Grove. It could, yeah, it, could it, be, it, actually. It, yeah,
0: it probably could be. There's probably a lot of people to, to talk to. And
2: you've got your first couple stories right there. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: well, right yeah, on track. Yeah,
0: well, and, and you know, I'm, I'm glad that there's at least a, a film about it now to give these people to do. And yes. what's amazing about uh, the film poster is the film poster is a compilation of photographs of the victims of the fire. So you can actually put a face to all of these numbers of yeah. people, which is just incredible. So, um we are coming to the end of our show and we really appreciate everybody's and their comments today and we invite you always to stay with your curious. We'll be back next week and take care until then. Stay spooky.